For those of you guys who don't know, um, we are the charismatic church. (laughs) Right? And what that means is we believe in a very active God. We believe in a God that comes and intervenes with our reality daily and regularly. We believe when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, we believe that we can see that happen. We believe in the goodness of God. We believe that he wants to physically heal people. It's not a question of if it is in his heart to do it. He wants us to be emotionally well. And he wants us to be a voice for those who don't have a voice in the world. He wants us to carry out acts of mercy and justice in this world. And we talk about each and every one of us having a destiny that we were created for a purpose. We were not accidents made by chance. We are all here put on this planet for a reason. We talk about that a lot. But that message is incomplete. And it's almost wrong to just talk about that part. It's not the the whole entire gospel. Because the reality is there's a problem of unanswered prayer. What do we do? when the things that we're asking for don't happen right away or it takes a really long time or when people are hurt because bad people do bad things or good people do bad things when racism exists when misogyny exists when hurt happens to children How do we reconcile and justify those kinds of things as we continue and we talk about victory? How do we reconcile the fact that those who have will be given more and those who don't, even that will be taken away? How do we reconcile a gospel that sometimes feels so divergent Ryan kind of talked about this a little bit, um, and I've kind of alluded to this. Um, One of the main things that kind of plummeted me into my sabbatical was wrestling with the suffering of mankind. It sounds really existential, but it's really not, because you walk around every day, and it's in your face every day. Loved ones get sick and you have to deal with that regularly. And you're like, but I also am told that my God is intimate and that he cares and I'm supposed to contend. And you're like, what do I do with that? And what do I do when I just feel like everybody's just freaking mean? (laughs) Right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but like sometimes I just walk out of my door and I'm just like, someone smile. Look happy. Why? It's because... You know? So I wanted just to talk. Today's talk is called Resetting of Expectations. I know. You guys, I am really, really not tech savvy, and I really tried very hard. I think I spent almost as much time on my PowerPoint presentation (laughs) than I actually did writing the talk. (laughs) And this is what I came up with. And there's one, one, one slide that will have an animation, and I didn't create it. Thank you, Jackie. So, okay. (laughs) All right. So, let's lay a foundation. We cannot talk about victory. We can't talk about all the things that we're trying to possess until we talk about the fallenness of mankind. Okay. Okay. 
<laughs> Seriously, a lot of work, right? Um, <clears throat> before the fall, right? So these, there's two lines. For those of you guys listening on the podcast, imagine, right? There's one line on top, one line down here. Before the fall, everything was perfect. Everything was good. Heaven on earth, earth on heaven. The bottom line is meant to represent hellishness. The top line is to represent heavenliness. Okay. <clears throat> this is not a perfect metaphor. Don't rip it apart. But it'll work for this talk. Okay, so before the fall, God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It says that we were walking with the Lord in the cool of the day. We had enough to eat. We knew who we were. Our spirits were at rest. We were not in competition with ourselves or with anyone else. Things were really good. There was no bloodshed. After the fall. I won't go through all of the details, but I'll just say after the fall, what happens, right, is that the... Yeah, there you go. That's actually wrong. I did that wrong. So the little man sad is right, but the the gray is supposed to go all the way to the top line. So, (laughs) yay! Thank you. So basically, after the fall, the earth, right, gets shrouded in sin, in decay, in darkness. It says that therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, who had everything that they could ever want, end up leaving and live in a place where it's not abundant. They have to kill something in order to eat. They now know hunger. They now know shame. They now know pain and hurt. Just go back. And I just want to make this point that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This isn't just like because Adam sinned the whole entire world is, well yes it was plunged into the darkness but it also says that because we all did as well. Okay. And after the fall, and I think this also constitutes, we can also say Romans 3 also says that none is righteous, right? Ryan did an amazing job talking about how not but a few chapters after this, Cain and Abel, there's murder, and not but a couple chapters after that, God wipes all of mankind off the face of the planet because everybody was wicked and the best guy he could find was Noah. And if you read a little bit about Noah, even Noah's not perfect. And not long after that, the Tower of Babel happens, right? And if you read the Old Testament, <coughs> it's story after story after story about the people of God turning away from God consistently and constantly, and God having to say, Come back to me. I love you. Ah, your sin has become so horrific. I just, I can't. And then he says, and yet I'm going to find a way. Come back. Come back, my beloved. Come back. And yet time and time again, humanity is killing each other. And all these terrible things keep happening, right? Okay, the next slide. So, And then Jesus comes. And this is the good stuff that we talked about, right? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And here there's promises. We, we, we become adopted. 
We get to be seated with, with Christ. There's other passages that say that we are co-heirs and we reign with him. A lot of really, really awesome things. But also in this, there's also a component of like a little bit of not quite yet and not quite for everybody, right? Um, my little man here. <laughs> um, so there's, t- actually let's move to the next slide. Okay, so this slide, this one gets a little bit more complicated. Um, I wanted to put a lot more people on the slide, but it was too hard. So just imagine more crying people, more people looking up, and more people happy, but not quite up there. Okay. <coughs> so there's a component of this that requires some people to believe. So that means, naturally, that that's not everybody, right? There's a component of this that requires our effort. It says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So there's an aspect where we have a part to play in this. There's a process by which this change happens, and it's through us aligning our mindsets with the Lord's. There's a component of this that says, right, in 1 Corinthians 13, says that we see in the mirror dimly right now, but one day we will see in full. So although we talk about victory, we also have to hold intention. The fact that there is a component of fullness that has not yet arrived. So I'm going to try to explain all of this um, graph. Um, not really a graph, right? But <clears throat> Oh, Jesus. Okay. So when sin came into the world, even though Jesus has come, there is a process by which all of us start here. There's not a single one of us that is not here. This is where our expectations have to begin. That we all, we have some areas that maybe are going upwards towards looking more like heavenliness. But there's a whole lot still that don't. And that's in every single one of us. You, me, our leaders, our friends, our family. This process of going up towards heavenliness, though, necessitates and requires Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no going towards heavenliness, right? It's not about self-actualization, but just us becoming the way that things are supposed to be. And every single time we align our thoughts with truth, that is one more area that we start to move closer to what God has made it to be. Every time we pray and we believe that God is good, we're aligning ourselves with a certain amount of truth and we start to move closer to what God has for us and what life is meant to be. But there is also just, if we think about all the different components of our life, that is happening at different rates for different things in us. So for our family, some of us have seen a good amount of healing and restoration there, but some of us have not yet. There's some of us who are believing for a certain level of restoration for our bodies, for, and maybe that isn't all fully right there yet. That doesn't mean he doesn't want that, but we have to remember where we begin. And I think that's really, really, really important. And I think the other part is, as we do that, we also are grabbing hold of the hands of other people. I 
I want to um, just highlight one of these passages is First um, John five nineteen and twenty. We know that we are children of God, and but and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We don't talk a lot about this. I don't like to talk about the devil a whole lot. I don't like to give him a whole lot of airtime. Okay? But we have to realize that this here earth is battleground. This is not heaven. This is battleground. This is where we're fighting. This, however many years, right? Let's hope it's 80, 90, 100 years, right? However long we have here. This really, this much in the light of eternity. This is where we fight. This is where we move our others, the world, from here to here. And, and we may or may not ever get all the way here, but every step is a step, and we want to be moving in the right direction. That's the main thing. That's the goal. Move in the right direction. I think a lot of times we as people who have really high expectations I don't know about you guys but I have very high expectations for myself I almost kill myself with my high expectations we always start here but it is so incredibly important that we start the conversation and see how far we've come we started here as as the song says you know creatures objects of mercy who should have known wrath We start as people who do not have rights. We have forfeited our rights. I know everyone, this may rumple some feathers out there, but we talk about rights and that everyone has rights. But guess what? The, The gospel says actually we handed those over. We don't actually have those. When we're talking about rights, actually what we're saying is, Man, God wants to reinstate to us something that was lost, but it is not something that we deserve. It is something that we are calling forth and saying, I know it was lost, but I'm going to be a part of bringing it out of, each, of myself and each other. But it is not a right. <clears throat> We often say that we know that this is true. I mean, we talk, I think most Christians in the back of their minds get that we come, that, you know, that there is the fallenness of man, that there's human sin and stuff like that. But I don't actually know that most of my conversations reflect this truth. I'm going to just quote um, C.S. Lewis real quick. When men attempt to be Christians without a preliminary consciousness of sin, the result is almost bound to be a certain resentment against God. Believing him to be one who's inexplicably angry. When we don't understand where we begin, then when we don't see things pan out the way that we think they should go, we think that it's God withholding it from us. We think that it's God who doesn't want to do it. We think that somehow it's our fault. Actually, let me tell you the truth, that it probably is our fault. And I think we spend so much time trying to save each other from feeling ashamed that we don't just say that. And I have been guilty of this, too, because I don't enjoy telling people, yeah, actually, you do have a part to play in this. But it's not just you. It's me, too. Right? So I'm not pointing any fingers. But I I am saying, yeah, actually, if you have ever believed a lie, you're probably part of the problem. If we are ever shocked that injustice happens. How could this be? How could the government do this? How could he lie? How could these people, how could my parents be this way? We don't really believe. We don't actually grasp 
the fact that the world is fallen and that there is fallenness within us as well. If we struggle with disappointment to some extent, not all, okay, I don't like to make these big absolute statements, but I think, I think sometimes disappointment is, begins because our expectations didn't start here. It's because we started here and we looked at where this isn't. We know that this is what, that we don't fully embrace or accept this if we have a hard time allowing people to see our weaknesses. When we spend a lot of time masking that we're strong, that we have the answers. When we come to church and we feel like we have to put on a good face. When we feel like we have to have the right answers. When we're leaders and we feel like it's not okay to not be okay. when we can't understand why maybe that promotion didn't happen, why should it? Who told you that everyone was supposed to get promoted? I mean, I know this is a real bummer, but I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> but I'm just one. <laughs> but nobody said that that was part of the plan. To be honest with you guys, this is a really hard message for me to give because I hate weakness. I hate it in me. I hate seeing the way that I hate, I can't even watch, I couldn't even watch movies, especially most American movies for a really long time in this last year because I feel like our culture celebrates angst and like all of the problems that people have and it was just absolutely agonizing. And I don't think that this is where it ends. Thank God. But I think it's really important for us to realize that when we're talking about all of the things that we're fighting and contending and believing for. That it has to be counterbalanced with the existence of the current world that we live in and that we were a part of creating. Okay, next slide I think. Okay, let's go back. Okay, so <clears throat> so I think when we start to kind of embrace this, then we can kind of talk about now, then what do we do here, right? Like that was the real bummer part. Um, but I think it's really important. I think to the degree that we can accept that is the degree that the gospel is actually good news to us. Um, it's not good news if we don't think we need it, right? But let's talk a little bit about now. In this interim, between hellishness and, and the fall and heaven, what are we doing and what's our part in this in-between? What do we do? So um, you can go to the next slide real quick and then we'll back go back here it's like so after Jesus comes back everything should be white and pretty and everything on earth is going to be heavenly again there's going to be no tears there's going to be no suffering and all of that but let's go back so 
what we do during this point to simply just say it, and I'll, I'll kind of go break, through, break it down a little bit more, is we're going from, we're helping everybody to the degree that we can move from here and up. Whatever part of that process you want to be part of, it's awesome. But be part of this process. Don't be a part of that process. It's pretty simple. <laughs> if you're going this way, you're doing a good job. If you're part of this, not so good. And, I <clears throat> and what this looks like, biblically, is to know him. Right? The word talks about what's the greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God Almighty with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You break that down. The first thing is to know him. Right? Our job while we're here, because we cannot love our neighbors like ourselves if we are not loving ourselves, so part of it is to lo- know him. Let him tell you who you are. Get to know him. That is one of our things that we do here. That is one of our jobs. The next is to make him known. Ryan talked a lot about that last week. Go, therefore, make disciples. This whole thing of moving on up towards more heavenliness really doesn't mean anything if people don't know Jesus. Okay? Like, just getting a little bit here, but they don't know Jesus, still doesn't cut it. At the end of the day, when he comes back, he's going to say, Do you knew, do, did you know me? Did you not? What did you do with what you, what you knew? Okay? I know that a lot of us know this, but I just want to make it super, super, super clear. I get there's a lot of good things we want to do here on earth, but if none of that leads to people coming to know Jesus, those people will not know Jesus, and they're going to be here forever. That's not good. (laughs) All of our nice, good deeds are useful to an extent, but Jesus was really clear. One of the last things he told us to do was go, therefore, and make disciples. Right? And then we also know, so you kind of break that down and kind of corollary it a little bit. In the last prayer that Jesus prays before he gets crucified, it's called the high priestly prayer. One of the things that he wants is for us to love one another, right? There's a component of what we do while we're here on earth is with each other, with the church, right? Is to love one another. For those who are not in the church, we are meant to bring them into the church. And for those who are in the church, we are meant to learn how to love each other. And the last, we'll talk about this a little more this year, because I think it's important, is to prepare for the second coming of Jesus. He's coming back for us. Amen. And there is a part of what we do here on earth that is to prepare for that. Everything in our lives, our work, our school, our families, our everything, should somehow fit into making those things happen. And that is what I mean by moving from hellishness towards heavenliness. Okay? But as you can understand, it's a process and it doesn't happen over every category and everything all at once. And so there needs to be a sense of patience and a sense of fight. They don't happen passively. They happen with prayer, with love, with contending, with fasting, with changing the way we think, with aligning our thoughts with what the Word says, with having good theology. (laughs) I love the yeses in the room. (laughs) And that's part of what we want to do this year. We want to establish good theology. That yes, although we talk about victory, it comes in a context of fallen mankind. And so sometimes some things take a little longer to see happen. He wants them to happen, but even if they don't, he is good.
part of the reason I felt like the Lord was like highlighting this for us is because I think um, for a good amount of people in this room, maybe not everyone, a lot of a lot of us are inspired by excellence, our ideals. I'm not a perfectionist personally, but I am an idealist. So I operate in black and white, okay? I struggle with this whole middle area. I just do. And it drives me absolutely crazy, which is why it probably took me a year before I could even understand this very simple truth. So when someone tells us people can be healed, what I hear is everyone should be healed. When someone tells me Jesus came to bring heaven to earth, I'm like, everybody's heaven's going to come to earth. It's going to be now. And if it's not now, what's wrong? If someone died, how could that be? The gospel accounts for that. My mind may not be able to break that down, but Jesus did a good job. So let's move on to the next. That one more. One more. That was the pretty slide that Jackie did, by the way. It had pictures and colors. So thank you, Jackie. Okay. Okay. So when we start here, I think it's really easy to become resentful towards God. When we start here, what we see is, oh, but I'm here, right? Why am I not here? Why are things not here? It's easy to be disappointed. Why am I not married yet? Why don't I not have that job yet? Why don't I not have that major yet? Why do I not have answers to this about my family yet? Right? God wants me to surrender this. Why is it so painful? And when we see things not right, we become a part of the voices of complaint. We become criticizers instead of builders. We say, it's not this. Why is it not this? It should be this. Because this is what it should be. Let's go to the next. But when we start here, we're like, whoa, we should have been dead. (laughs) Smitten. Killed. (laughs) Whoa, thank you. I'm alive. He didn't smite me. Wow, I'm saved. I may not have these things yet, but I have that. And then we understand our purpose is to help move this whole process along. Instead of becoming part of the other thing that we have to help undo and people who are part of the problem criticizing the whole time. We are like, no, you know, Since we were all here, if we even move it here, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Wow, in my one generation, we've, some of us know Jesus. Guess what? The next generation, we're going to have more people know Jesus. And the next, my whole family line is going to be people who know Jesus. And we can then rejoice for every area. And we can be excited about every area that comes under the lordship of Christ. It's another area that he now possesses and has power and authority to start to make his way. And it brings delight to God when we start to see things this way. This is truth when we start here and we look this way. When we start here and we look down, 
there's nothing good that happens. So I'd like to now, you can turn that off. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the church. This is um, an area I think that's a little harder for people sometimes because we have different expectations for the church, right? But really, I think what I, my point is that I don't know that we should. Last year, um, during my sabbatical, one of the things that I did, I went to um, one of the missions. Um, Sonoma, what was the mission there? Yeah. And, um, and I went into their chapel. And I just cried and cried and cried when I went in there because I was just like, there's this Jesus hanging on the cross and yet pictures of all these terrible things that these people did in the name of Jesus. And I just wept because I was like, God, these were, this was like how your gospel came. And I just repented. I was just like, God, for all the ways that we as a church have misrepresented your gospel to people, where we have brought the good news with, along with our pride and our human ideas. We're so sorry. And I just wept and wept and I was just really, really grieved. So I want to say first and foremost that the hurt that the church has inflicted on the world is real. It's not imagined. But at the same time, we are the church. We don't get to point a finger like we're not. And God showed me and he's like, yeah, I did. I still picked them. I still used them. As offensive as that is. And if we think about it, who else did he use in the Bible? He used Peter, a guy who denied him. He used David, a guy who murdered. He used Abraham, a guy who lied about his wife. Jacob, another guy who is called a liar. I mean, you just go down the list. And God's like, if I waited for a good person to use, who would I use? <laughs> I mean, really. And I was just like, Whoa. <laughs> right. So I say this with a tension, with a real tension in my heart. I'm not excusing anything. Okay? This is not an excuse. But there's also a statement that's true that I don't think very many of us, and if we think we could, I think we're just lying to ourselves. I don't know if any of us would do things that much differently. If there has ever been jealousy in your heart, if you've compared, if you've coveted something that someone else had, if you've had a hard time believing a truth that God has given you, if you've criticized, if you've been prideful, because really, what was all that? It's pride. Pride. 
I think the reality is when we look at all that stuff, if we think we're exempt, then we need to examine ourselves. There's this um, study, and this may not be the perfect use, you guys, um, but, um, you know, they did this study. It's called the Milgram study. Some of you guys know about it. And they studied, like, these people. They put them in fake prisons, and they gave them fake power. And um, they were what they concluded, and what they were trying to do is figure out how Nazi Germany happened. How? Would this happen? And when they gave some people power and some people not power, what they found was that there were a lot of things that actually became scarily similar to what happened in Nazi Germany. And some people have concluded with that that what that means is that we have to become less obedient. We have to be able to stand up. And yes, that's true, but I think for me the takeaway was that those people are not so different from you and I. It's not a far leap. Some of us may have a little, I mean, but still, let's not even go there. Let's just be honest. And so, for those of us who have been hurt by the church, I'm really sorry. That is real, that's truth. So I want to just let that sit for a bit because I don't want to move on and invalidate that. But I also want to say I don't know that it's different anywhere else. I know that some people have been hurt by bad leaders, but I will say there is no such thing as a good leader, self-included. And so when we talk about, like, criticism, you know, I think one of the things that we hear a lot people want to come and they want to say, hey, you guys aren't doing this. You guys aren't doing that. Um, I want you guys to be more X, X, Y, Z. I think there's these other things that people are doing that you guys aren't doing. One of the things I just want to say is we're all here and Even people in the church are just trying to be a part of this process. The only difference, hopefully this is the difference, I hope this is true, is that people, especially leaders, should, what makes us different is that we know we need God more. It's not because (laughs) they're better, but this this is the position that God's given them. And so when, 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 when we come and we say, hey, you're, this church isn't doing this and this church isn't doing that, there is a place for that. I'm going to talk about that. But I think the thing that I want to point out, and it's not just leaders, right? It's people, humanity. One of the things that has been on my heart is like, I felt like God was like, man, people are really trying, Every single one of us is really trying. We're trying to follow God. We're trying to do what's right. We're trying to live and make it through the day. And f- look at, and when I, what I felt like the Lord was saying when he looked at, at his people, he was like, look at them. They're trying. Look at them. I see. Look, they were here, but look at how much they're trying. And so, I know the rhetoric out in the world is, this is what's wrong, and this is what's not right, and 
I mean, like, there's so many articles that start with something along the lines of, this is what you knew, but did you know that this is actually what's wrong with it? (laughs) You didn't know that this thing was wrong, but let me tell you the new thing that's wrong with this thing, right? And I'd love us to, like, be a part of a people that don't think that way. It's true. If the enemy comes and tells you something, just agree. And he goes, hey, you're terrible. Okay, that's true, but... (laughs) There's something, but God says I'm also more than that. So, so two things, two last things. The the thing of forgiveness. The Bible talks about forgiving 77 times 7, right? Like that, and what that means is just keep forgiving. And he says something pretty, pretty strong, pretty bold. He says, he uses a, actually, where do I want to go? Yeah, okay. So there's a parable about a guy who's had a debt forgiven, and then he doesn't forgive the debt of someone else. And so God says, basically, I've forgiven you this debt. Please forgive the debt of someone else. Otherwise, I can't forgive yours. This is a paraphrase of that. I really believe that the reason why forgiveness is so powerful is because God knew we're going to need it a lot. He wouldn't have told us and commanded us do it every single time if nobody would ever do anything that required forgiveness. If everyone is going to behave perfectly all the time. Forgiveness is the thing that allows us to become powerful in the face of sin. Right? If we don't have forgiveness, then what we do is we walk around looking for a perfect church with the least amount of hurtful people. (laughs) Or we try to live our lives in the way where we try to insulate us from the most amount of harm possible which then makes it so that some people end up being hermits or isolated because that doesn't re- it's not very easy to come by but what forgiveness does is says you know what even if that happens even if I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who don't know what the heck they're doing half the time or more than half the time it's okay because I am powerful and I have the ability to choose whether or not that's going to go into my spirit my soul and I'm going to let that stay with me I'm going to get to choose whether or not I let that thing sit with me I can choose to let it go and allow God to be my venger and him to deal with that And so I think that's one of the reasons why I think forgiveness is super, super, super important. The combination of repentance and forgiveness allows us to walk around as powerful people who do not become victimized by a broken world. And lastly, this is just a little like, um, it's more practical. um, So if we do see things that are out of place, um, I think there's a place for it. A lot of times people who are pretty sensitive and who are idealistic, not every time, but a lot of times these people can be very prophetic. And what prophetic people do is they are able to feel when things are kind of off. But what the gift of prophecy is meant to do is build the body, not tear it down, right? And so when we see those things, one, when we talk about the things that we're seeing that aren't right, I want us to own that we are a part of the church. I think a lot of times when we talk about the church has done this and the church has done that, we stand apart from it as if we were not a part of that. Look what they did. Look what, how they've done all these things for all 2,000 whatever years that the church has existed. How could they do these things? How? 
And, some t- and actually, I think sometimes those things need to be said, right? You look at the Old Testament, the prophets do call out stuff. So it's not wrong to see and to say, but how we do it matters to whether or not it's a gift to the body or not. And if we see it as we're a part of this family, and when I see this, I'm bringing it, not because I think I'm better and that I wouldn't do the same thing, but I see this, let's make it better together. And I think the other thing is just to ask the Lord to remind us how much he loves the body of Christ. He died for her while she still, while she was the one nailing him to the cross. Right? Forgive them for they know not what they do. And she's the one that he's going to come back for. We, that in, when he comes back, that we get to be the bride. We get to be the one that gets betrothed to him for all of eternity. That's how much he loves her. And so when we do have these things to say, or we do see these things, let us just remember those two things. So I'd love all of us to just stand and love to invite the worship team up. And I'd love to invite us into a time of corporate repentance. Ryan and I were talking one day, and and you know we we're just we were just kind of chatting, and he's like, "I get why the world's so messed up, but I still have a hard time sometimes understanding." or not understanding, because that's not the right word, but just like we're just talking about, like, why is it that sometimes this still happens in the body? And all of a sudden, I felt like the Lord kind of dropped a little thing on me. And what I felt like he was saying was, through Adam, one guy, one sin, the entire earth was plunged into chaos. That's one guy. One time. What's happening daily, constantly? So when we're, when we're praying and when we're contending and we're saying, God, we want to see these things happen, we're also going against, I don't know why they don't happen as fast for some things. I don't. But I do know that God is good and that he wants breakthrough. I don't know what else is going on, but there is a lot of stuff that we're coming and that we're fighting against. Luckily, if you think about it, how many really awesome, powerful encounters with the Lord do you really have? Some of you maybe have more than others, but most of us probably can count them maybe like on on our hands, those really powerful, life-changing encounters. But think about it, it only took like one or two of those. And now, and you're, you're here. So actually, the power of God's pretty powerful. And so I think, Ask for more of those. Ask for more of those. It's not a defeated thing. This is like, this is actually really good news. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways, so where I wanted to go is I just wanted to invite us all to just kind of do business um, with the Lord. If there's any place where there's some area that needs to be reset to start here, so that we can start to see this way. Or if you've been one of the people who see things here and have only been able to see where we've fallen short from there, I think that's actually something that I'd like to invite us to repent for. And invite the Lord to help us start here and cultivate a heart that sees this. 
and to not despise when we see that we're actually more closer to here. So I'm going to pray that. Um, and then during the worship time, I'd love you guys to just interact with the Lord. Father God, we love you. And um, we just come before you for the ways that we have wrongfully approached you and approached your people in this earth. I pray that you would help us have godly hope to see how far we've come in you. Give us hope to be a part of the fight. To be a part of bringing your heaven here to earth until you come again when everything is fully made perfect. Let us be a people that are able to rejoice in every moment that we have allowed you to reign and may there be more of them till you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a couple areas right as Suki started to pray that I felt um, prophetically I just wanted to call out. Um, the first one is family. And I think an application of what Jasuki was sharing related to family is if you come from the expectation of perfection down onto family, what it, what it means is when you're around your family, what it usually results in is wanting to get away as fast as possible. And I think oftentimes we're like, man, why is it so hard for us? Like, why? There's like an adage. It's like, why is it hardest to be around family? You know, it's kind of like a, a chuckle because um, we, I think a lot of us experience it. <clears throat> and I think the, the key to breakthrough, to be able to enjoy your family while they're still in a place of wild imperfection and the results of sin are still very clear in your family is found in exactly what Suki was just sharing to be able to understand that the expectation can start lower, that we all exist in families that have been tattered by sin, and that all of the people in our family have been hated at some point and have believed lies at some point and have been parented incorrectly at some point and on and on, uh, betrayed by friends at some point, on and on and on that our families are just made up of people that have been hit by this world and that our role in our families is to be light, not to be criticizers, but to be able to come in with a, again, a, an expectation that recognizes that as Suki said, through one man, one sin, the whole world fell into sin, and now there's been billions and billions of sins every day. That's a lot of destruction in the world. And our families have felt it, and our families experience that. And so being able to celebrate the, the kingdom aspects in our family, like walking in with new light and go, wow, there's some love in my family. That's amazing. Or wow, like, man, my my parents royally screwed it up in so many areas, but in these couple of areas, wow, they really did an amazing job. And that actually reflects the heart of God in those areas. And again, it's not to excuse. It's just to, to recognize our starting point and to recognize that we're all in this together. And I feel like when I say family, I think there's an aspect of that that extends to the marriage too. Like, wow, my, my spouse isn't who I want them to be. It's like, yeah, well, I'm not who I want me to be either, <laughs> right? I think it, there's a recognition that we're all 
being redeemed by Christ Jesus in his power and in his glory, but we all are being redeemed from the pit. And we still have scars and we still have wounds. And from that place of recognition, extending forgiveness and grace to the people around us and our families, our spouses included. And so if if the area of family feels like one that you need some application on, I just felt like the Lord was putting that on my heart specifically as an example and also as a place where he'd love to bring healing. And so as Suki was saying, feel free to allow kind of the truth that was spoken here to bring repentance in any number of areas. But if, uh, if family is one of those for you, I just encourage you to invite the Lord into it now and do confession and repentance of changing the way you think in that area because I feel like he's highlighting it. But let's just do business with the Lord as we worship.